Hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Business Casual, our weekly podcast at Poets and Quants. I'm here with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline D.R.T. Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCOT. We're going to talk today about women in business school. We're recording this on the day when the Forte Foundation put out its latest report. In general, it's a positive report. It shows that no progress has been made, but no progress has been diminished on women in business school. We know that for many years, business school, and this is still true, trails medical school and law school in the percentage of women who are students. And we know that there are some misconceptions out there about business school among some women who prefer not to pursue an MBA. We want to address all that. Meantime, the good news, frankly, is that you know more than half the top 25 schools have reached the 40% threshold in these incoming classes in the fall of 2020. Dartmouth Tuck is at 49% women, Stanford at 47%, Duke at 46%. And yet there are other schools that have actually had declines. Most notably, Wharton went from 47% in 2019 to 41% this year. Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Rice, Kellogg, MIT, and Yale all have had declines in this past year, even though applications went way up at many of these schools, largely due to the extended rounds that were caused by COVID. So you would imagine that many of these schools have the opportunity to go into that pool, find domestic students who were female, and at least hold steady instead of experience a decline. So let's start with what holds people back from getting an MBA when they're female? Caroline? Well, I mean, it varies a huge amount. I I think over the years, talking to women applicants versus the the male candidates I speak to, I I think I do more often hear concerns about the cost of the program and the debt they would be taking on. So I, I do think some women sometimes are more risk averse when it comes to taking on you know, it, it, it's a pretty impressive <laughs> expenditure, right? Ima- amount of money sure to invest is. in your education and take on that financial burden and know that, um, you know, you, you, you've you really got to increase your earnings post-MBA to, to justify that and see the return on investment. And Although aren't, aren't women more likely to get scholarship help than men? That, that's true. And, you know, when you look at the data of women coming out of the program, then they are earning just as well as their male peers, and so they are getting that return. But I think that there's sometimes just more anxiety about that. And that might have also been the case this year. You know, it, obviously, you know, it's been a very challenging year for many people. And so in some, for some people, it might seem more risky than, than at another time to pursue an MBA because there's so much turmoil, the economy is turning down. So that might have had some impact on women who might otherwise have applied. You know, what you're saying actually is kind of interesting to me because you're saying that women are actually more practical than men. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I mean, really, because these are real serious concerns, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I do think that sometimes, unfortunately, there still is a gender difference in that young men just have this greater sense of confidence and that I'm worth it. And of course, someone's going to pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars when I come out of business school um, and I'll be commanding the best salary from my class, whereas the women are less likely to think that way. And sometimes, you know, 
think through all the different scenarios of actually what could happen more carefully. And that can sometimes make you more anxious about, about taking on the debt. And I, I think also sometimes, you know, life plans get in the way. The average MBA student is, what, 27, 28, 29, you know, getting close to 30 when they graduate. That's often the age when many women are thinking about starting a family. And so, so that can sometimes seem hard to think through if you think, well, you know, maybe I'm going to be having kids, but I've just finished my my graduate degree program and I've taken on all this debt and I need to be able to earn a lot of money to pay down my debt. So I, I think in some cases that also discourages some women. Yeah, that makes sense. Maria, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree that I think uh, male applicants do have a greater sense of confidence, but I also think that sometimes the women's sense of confidence is not entirely, like, sorry, the lack of confidence I mean, it's not entirely, you know, it is in some ways justified because if you look at statistics and they're getting better, but, you know, I think your article, John, points out that I believe that 6% of CEOs in the Fortune 500 are women, right. uh, 94% are men, right? Uh, you know, and I, I do think that in senior leadership roles in business, women are increasing, but they're certainly not yet really reaching the upper echelons at the sort of in a, in a level that is commensurate with the number of women who are getting MBAs. And so I think for some women, they may look up the corporate ladder and say to themselves, huh, <laughs> not really seeing a lot of women, not sure why that is. I'm seeing a lot of my, you know, my older female peers maybe dropping out of the workforce when they have children. And so I, I think it's it's not just that I, I don't think that it's that women are innately less confident. I think part of that may be the fact that the business world has not yet caught up with you know, really embracing gender parity. Yeah, really, really good point. And it's not only CEOs, it's the entire C-suite. It's uh, corporate boards of directors. It's up and down. You look at the leadership roles in any company, even outside the C-suite, and uh, there are small percentages of women compared to men. The glass ceiling is real, and it has not been shattered. Mm. And that has got to discourage some people from going to business school and pursuing a career in business. And in particular, in finance and consulting, generally, two of the more competitive and demanding industries tend to uh, not attract a lot of women. That is changing a little bit because I think the consulting firms in particular have made it a mandate to be more inclusive and uh, diverse. And I know a number of them at the very top, including McKinsey, have initiatives to bring in more women, because if you look at their partner ranks, you see the same thing you see in corporate America. Is any of this going to change? So business schools are working very hard to attract more women. So, you know, and that's been a a multi-year effort. As you mentioned, John, you know, schools do invest a huge amount in scholarships and, you know, disproportionate amount of that will often go to women candidates. You know, they have specific outreach efforts. They work with organizations like Forte. So I think business schools are trying fairly hard to to bring more women into the pipeline. But, you know, I I think there is an issue with women seeing role models in in some organizations, as we've said, and, you know, believing that the the path is there for them going forward. So I think business schools will struggle to, you know, really achieve parity until the workplace and especially the corporate workplace changes. I do hope, however, that, you know, I think one of the blessings of COVID, I know it's been hard to have a silver lining in these difficult times, but my hope is that 
a lot of these firms that have typically demanded just sort of insane amounts of face time are seeing that, hey, maybe the work actually can get done if people are doing it from home. Because I think one of the big reasons for consulting, especially that women often take a step back from it, is that, you know, you're on a plane. Normally, you're on a plane twice a week and you're away from home four days a week. And so, you know, you've read you read these horror stories about women you know, having to pump on the airplane on the way to the board meeting. And it's just, you know, it, it, it really is not conducive to having yeah, especially really. an infant or even, you know, once they're once they're older. You know, it's interesting. One of my career coaches at HBS said to me, you know, everyone always focuses on what am I going to do when I have a baby? But the babies are actually in some ways easier because you can outsource diaper changing. But once they get older, you can't outsource, you know, you can't really outsource those harder discussions. So when they come to you at age seven and they say a girl at school was mean to me, those are the discussions you want to have with them. That's not something you want to outsource, right? As they start to develop their value system and as they start to you know, encounter conflict and disappointment in life and all those things. And so I hadn't really thought of it that way. So I thought that was a really valuable thing, right? I think the good news is that if you're working in something like consulting or banking, you do have at least a high compensation level. So you can, you can frankly just pay a nanny. And that's what my friends who, who did pursue those paths and have stayed on those paths. That's, you know, that's what they do. And that's what works. That's what works for them. But my hope again, is that with COVID and the zoom and the virtual things, that maybe there won't be such a, a requirement, like a mandate that you must be on the plane 5 a.m. Monday morning uh, every single week in order to be successful in that job. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll change. Right. Now, you know, when the 4T Foundation, which does a terrific job at encouraging women and helping them prepare for business school, was founded in 2001, fewer than 28% of MBA students were women. I wonder how many women were in the program at NCR, Caroline, when you entered? Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't great. It was about 20% women, actually, when I was there in 2003. And when you decided to go, I wonder what was the reaction of your friends or your family? And then what were your expectations and, and how did they play out? Yeah, so so I was working management consulting, and a lot of my peers and and you know people ahead of me in the company had done an MBA. So to me, it didn't seem like you know a very radical idea. And so you know, I think I had a lot of support around me and and role models who had been to great business schools, and that sort of inspired me to follow that path. On the other hand, my my father had wanted me to be a lawyer from a very early age, so never quite forgave me for straying from that path that he had, he had decided was the right thing. Because you know, I had siblings who who had gone down the road of medicine and engineering, and I was supposed to be the lawyer in the family. So you know, going to business school was definitely second best. But but you know, he eventually came round. But but yeah, I mean, at that time, it was quite a male dominated environment, and it, it, the percentage of women is a challenge for some schools like INSEAD because it's a very internationally diverse school. And some countries um, that are quite well re- represented at INSEAD have a very low, even lower, you know, wor- it's worse than the US in terms of the percentage of women in business and the percentage of women at senior levels in management. And so so the percentage of women at INSEAD has definitely come up a lot over the years. And it's sort of around, it's around 35% now. But that is still behind the school's peers in the U.S. And that is largely because some countries, for example, a lot of the Western European countries, the, the percentage of women in the applicant pool from those countries is often very, very low. 
The UK is pretty good as regards percentage of women, but continental Europe is pretty bad. And the Middle East, yeah, Middle right? East, and, and then um, Eastern Europe is very good. It's much better than than Western Europe as regard, regards percentage of women. And then in Asia, the China has a very strong percentage of women applying to business school in that pool, um, but India is very low. So as part of the 20% at NCR, did you feel intimidated? Did you feel just, you know, that it was hard to get airtime in classes or anything like that? No, no, not not at all. And it may have been that, you know, I was also used to working in quite a male-dominated environment, so it didn't seem very different. Um, right. But I think also it's that it, in Seattle, because it's so internationally diverse, there isn't really a dominant culture in the same way that you might get in, in US schools. And so I think gender was less of a sort of identifying factor because of that incredibly mm. rich international diversity. And, you know, not every, whereas the average American male MBA student is probably quite confident and loud in the classroom, that may not be the case for all other male students from other nationalities, right? So, so I think that, um, I, I, you know, it, that, that, didn't bo- that didn't bother me at the time, although, you know, it would have been great. I'm very pleased that the school has invested a lot in, um, in scholarships for women and has, you know, progressively increased that percentage. But I know it's been a, you know, it's been a real slog for the school to push that number up. And Maria, when you uh, entered the campus at Harvard Business School, what percentage of the students were female? I think we were in like, it was like 30, 32, 33%, uh-huh. I believe. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't really remember. But I think, you know, a, a point that, that Caroline hit upon that I think is valuable for all business schools, one of the reasons why I do think it's valuable for the schools to let in larger numbers of women is that, especially for some of these men who may be from male-dominated countries or cultures, Business school might be the first time they ever see a woman who is assertive and smart and savvy. And so I think that in terms of helping change the perceptions that perhaps some people have in some cultures, perhaps more than others, that, oh, you know, the women are the docile homemakers. And, you know, like, no, you know, I think I think business school might be a chance for some of them to actually start to shift their perceptions of women and see them as, as the competent leaders that they are. How did the culture of the school, when you attended it, uh, match up with your expectations? No, so I, I went into HBS expecting it to be pretty horrible. Like I was, I was no. expecting it to be. No, seriously, I, I was sort of, I was doing it with like sort of a bigger picture in mind, and so I was like, okay, this is sort of a means to an end, and I just need to grit my teeth for two years, and you know, it's going to be sharp elbowed, and it's going to be, you know, people are going to be slashing each other's throats, uh, you know. That, metaphorically speaking or figuratively speaking, but it was so much nicer than I expected. I, yeah, of course, there's always going to be the, the bros. I think you can't avoid those in any business school. And so those people were expected. They, th- that was what I was expecting, like everyone to be like, <laughs> but the bros were a much smaller percentage. I don't know. That's the best way to summarize it, right? Like, you know, the PE bros. So those guys were there, but it was a much smaller percentage. And I was very... I loved that there were so many people from the nonprofit space, from the entertainment industry, from, you know, so just the diversity of different backgrounds and so many men. I didn't feel necessarily that there was any kind of male versus female animosity or stereotyping going on, because I think one of the benefits of 
a discussion-based curriculum like the case method is that everyone gets a chance to raise their hands and, you know, making a good comment or making a bad comment is not necessarily based on gender. So, you know, a lot of really smart women were able to make really smart points. And so I think that if people were sexist coming into the program, my hope would be that they would be less so on the way out. Right. No, it makes total sense. Now, there are a lot of women, I think, who look at business in part because of the glass ceiling and the sort of dysfunctional numbers of uh, female representation in leadership positions and say, you know, business is a thing that maybe I don't want to be involved in because the perception you had going to Harvard is a perception that they have even today about business, that it's a place where there are a lot of sharp-elbowed men who dominate and uh, it's not very welcoming for women and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in money. I'm not interested in power. And so therefore I'm not interested in an MBA. To what extent do you think that still holds people back? Well, I, I, I'm sure that does have, have some impact. I mean, I, I think it does vary by country. And I do think that, you know, U.S. corporate culture is still in some ways more macho than, than corporate culture in some other countries. And, and you know, it has been slower to change and therefore slower to sort of, you know, bring the women through and, and, and um, set a good example of leadership. And, well, you know, frankly, look at the political leadership we've had in the US uh, over the past four years. That's not a great example of inclusive leadership and, you know, sort of very much the kind of the, the macho mode, that sort of old style. So, so Caroline, you really think that chest thumping has gone, gotten out of style? It's, Why would you not, say that? It's not that's the not. way forward, and that's not certainly not going to help bring bring more young women into the into those positions. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think corporate culture has has changed, but it's it's got a long way to go, especially in some cultures. And I think you know the U.S. has has a lot of progress to make. And, and what about the the notion that you know women may be less wanting to embrace this idea that uh, that they can do the quant well in an MBA program. There may be more women who apply to business school who come from liberal arts backgrounds, for example. And if you look at the percentage of women who apply with a GRE instead of a GMAT, that suggests that that is true. And there may be some concerns over the, over the quant. What do you say to that? I don't think that the quant, I mean, yes, look, a business school curriculum, of course, especially that core is going to have some quantitative analysis and some schools do have mandatory, you know, statistics classes and of the like. But I don't, I mean, it's not like a master's in computer science, artificial intelligence algorithms, right? Like it's definitely doable. I, I think that women over, you know, the people who or people in general who don't have quant backgrounds tend to kind of freak themselves out unnecessarily. And once you get to school, look, there are plenty of ways to prepare before you get to school. You know, there are online classes you can take. There's something called mbamath.com that you can do. Um, and once you get to school, again, most people at business schools are pretty friendly. And so if you're struggling with something like accounting, chances are there's an accountant in one of your classes that you can pull aside and be like, hey, I totally don't get debits and credits. Can you please help me? And so I I don't really hear from women. And Caroline, I'd be interested to hear what you I don't really hear from women who go to business school and then come back to me and say, wow, the quant is really unmanageable. I'm so miserable. So I, I think there's the, the perception is kind of worse. The bark is worse than the bite. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think from what I understand, and you two can confirm this or not, 
the actual quant in an MBA program is not overwhelming. Uh, I mean, other than accounting, statistics, and finance, uh, where you're going to be put in learning teams anyway, and you're going to have people who are incredibly proficient in those subjects help you. It's it's pretty pretty easy stuff. Yeah, Am and, I right? and they don't assume a lot of prior knowledge, right? So, I mean, if you don't have any background at all in 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 finance, then it can be helped do some prep before you go to business school. But you know, they really do start pretty much from scratch with you know accounting and economics and all of those disciplines. So. So, so as long as you you know you have some ability to tackle those subjects, you don't have to have, a, you know, a really strong. You don't have to have the foundational knowledge to to start the program. So let me let me turn this to what does it take for a woman to be very successful in an MBA program? And here's why I'm asking the question. You know, uh, a number of years ago, and and frankly, not that far long ago, there was a study at Harvard Business School, and here's what it showed. It showed that consistently men outperformed women at Harvard. And here's here in terms of receiving the number of honors that the school dished out. So even though women accounted for 36% of Harvard's class of 2009, only 11% of the school's Baker scholars were female. Now, for those who don't know, Marie would know this because, of course, she was a Baker scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> to be a Baker scholar is to graduate in the top 5% of your class. So only 11% were female, 36% of the population was female. And then Harvard also doles out of honors for first-year and second-year students. And in that case, uh, only 21% of the first-year honors in that class were given to women versus the 36% enrollment. And for second years, it was only 22% versus the 36 enrollment. And when uh, Harvard began to dig into these numbers and try to do something about it, one of the things that they discovered is that in classes, women tend to hold back. Women want to speak when they have well-formed, thoughtful responses to make, where guys just raise their hand, try to get airtime, and speak nonsense often. But at Harvard, in many other schools, where participation is 50% of the grade due to the heavy use of case study learning, that often put women at a disadvantage. And so one of the things that Harvard did, in fact, was to have pre-MBA boot camps to give these statistics to women, to encourage them to speak out, to say that their thoughts didn't have to be completely well-formed, that they should be more spontaneous in class. The other thing they did is they installed software that kept track of who the professors were calling in the class because professors tended to call the guys who were more aggressively waving their hands and seeking attention, as well as software that showed the distribution of grades to make gender the gender gap more apparent. This has largely been erased at Harvard, uh, and it's been something that a lot of schools have looked into, much to their credit. But if, if you had advice, Maria, for women who are going to an MBA program and want to do well, want to succeed, want to become a, a Baker Scholar at Harvard uh, or an R.J. Miller Scholar at Stanford, what's your advice? Well, I think let me just let me just say one thing. I think one of the benefits for me of attending Harvard Business School, because I was one of those women who I was like, I don't want to raise my hand unless I have something smart to say. But one of the benefits is that you, you start to notice that, wait a minute, these guys are raising their hand and they're spouting garbage. 
that, you know, and yet, and yet it's more, like they're, they're captivating the audience because they're saying it with such confidence. And wow, like it, for me, it, the transformation was thinking, realizing, wait a minute, I, I don't have to have the answers right away. As long as you say something with confidence, that's half the battle. Uh, and so by watching the way some of these men participated in class, it, it impacted me. And therefore, I think after I graduated, especially, I was much more assertive than I had been prior because I had seen how the men do it, frankly. I mean, I don't know how else to put that. And so I, you know, I think that's part of it. And I also think, look, I, I, I'm not trying to to discredit the or, or put or you know put any negativity on the Baker scholars. Some of them are legitimate genius level, stratospheric IQ, mega, mega intelligent. But a lot of them, you know, look, after your first semester at a place like HBS, you get the lay of the land and you get the hang of it. And I think at that point, if you really, 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 really want to gun, if you're gunning for Baker Scholar, I'm not saying you're going to get it, but you start to learn the how the game is played, right? And so you start to realize that, oh, you know, it helps if you sort of sit in the front and it helps if you raise your hand a lot and it helps. And so I think for for a lot of us, it's it's also a question of, what, where do I want to spend my time in business school? You know, I've, I've only got a year and a half left. Do I, is, is it really important? Is it going to impact my life in any material way if I'm a Baker scholar? And for me, it wasn't because I wasn't trying to get into hedge funds or PE or anything like that. Uh, and so I was just, I was really involved in extracurriculars and that's where I decided to prioritize my time. So I also wonder if part of it, part of it might be yes blatant sexism. Yes, some women might might have been more shy. Uh, but I also think part of it is just that if you really, really, really want to prioritize it, you can. But is that where you want to spend your one wild and precious life <laughs> while you're <laughs> while you're there? Uh, and the, the, the answer for me was no, I wasn't that interested. I, I had other commitments that I wanted to make. So that's just my Yeah, thought. and that makes sense. And I, and I should really say, I shouldn't define success as being a Baker Scholar or an R.J. Miller Scholar. I should define success as having a great MBA experience, frankly. Yes, and that I did. So, <laughs> Caroline? Yeah, so I, I think that um, there may be more women coming into the program than men who are concerned about how they're going to do. I think, you know, imposter syndrome is more common among women than men. So I would say to to incoming women students, you know, you're as good as anyone else in the classroom. They wouldn't have picked you if if you weren't. And, you know, you're probably better than a lot of the men who got there, some of them through <laughs> being better than you at blowing their own trumpet. So so, you know, don't feel that don't be overawed by the experience and embrace it, take advantage of it, speak up. And also you know, think carefully about what you want to get out of it and, you know, how you want to focus your time because there are so many things that you can do when you're at business school. You know, there's so many different academic options. There's so many different extracurriculars. Some people really need to dedicate a huge amount of time to networking and their job search because they've got a sort of very specific thing that they want to pursue and making that happen maybe more effort than trying to get into McKinsey or, or Goldman Sachs. So, so you need to think very carefully about your priorities. But that, you know, that's, that's as true for, for men as it is, is for women. All great advice. So there you have it. You know, look, if you're a woman and you're a little undecided about business school, 
understand you would not only be welcome there, you'd be embraced. Uh, you're more likely to get scholarship support because schools are really trying hard to increase the representation of women in their classes. You will find, I think, a pretty welcoming corporate environment uh, among the MBA employers, many of whom are really trying to recruit far more women and promote them and advance them in their organizations. So I hope this is helpful to all of you, and I want to encourage you, go for it. It's a special experience, and I think uh, you'd learn a lot from it. Your life would be more fulfilled and productive. If you have it and you want to pursue a career in business or even in, in the nonprofit sector. So, Maria and Caroline, thank you for all your great advice. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to our weekly podcast, Business Casual. <laughs> <laughs>